Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, podcast listeners? My name is Jessica. I am your host here on What Happens in the Woods. And along with me, as always, is my partner in true crime, my husband, Bryce. Hello. Hello. Um, so we're just going to try to provide a little entertainment during this weird, safer at home environment we're all in. How's everybody doing? How do you think we're doing, Bryce? I think we're doing fine. Yeah, we're not, we're not too crazy at this no. point. Any more than normal? Any more than normal, no. Yeah, it's, it's getting a little wild. Four dogs, two kids. I don't know. We hope everybody's safe and healthy, and, and if you can stay at home, that's great. So I... Just weird times. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like I thought I was going to be so productive, <laughs> and I'm not. I have plans. I had such big plans. I thought we were just going to, I actually was like afraid that we were going to f- not have things to do. Yeah. And that's not <laughs> been the issue at all. Mm-mm. Yeah. So, well, all right. Enough chit chat. We are here to discuss crime and murders and crazy shit. So are you ready? Uh, let me put my seatbelt on. Hold on. I'm ready. Okay. All right. So before I go into too much detail, let me tell you how I heard about this case. Okay. So the last episode I mentioned that after we had moved from California, I was unpacking and I was watching TV and that's how I found the disappearance of Susan Powell. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Literally right after that, I started watching another documentary or docuseries on Mm -hmm. Netflix called The Confession Tapes. Because what else is there to do in quarantine? Well, I wasn't in quarantine. This is when I moved here. Oh. Like, this is when we moved here. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I was just kind of thinking, okay, I I watched Susan Powell. That was kind of depressing. And I'm thinking, okay, but I still want to watch something true crime related. So let me just find something else. Okay. So I found this series. And right off the bat, the first two episodes are on this murder that we're going to discuss. And I just kind of had this epiphany of this just confirms it. we moved to murder fucking central. Yeah. We're pretty yeah. much. <clears throat> I mean, I, before we had moved here, I've never heard so much of Washington state crime. 
and since then it's just everywhere without yeah. me even trying to find it yes. i feel like so anyways naturally i watched both episodes of about this case and i was just immediately had to know more and started googling so this week we are going to take a look at a murder that happened in bellevue washington uh, just right up the road from us not too far yeah in 1994 so just a little teeny background on Bellevue. It's just outside of Seattle and it's pretty affluent. So it's, you know, nice family homes, pretty much what you would expect like a established suburban area to be outside of a major city. Um, really doesn't have much crime and crimes of this nature are just completely unheard of. So the crime I'm talking about is the Rafay family murders. All right. All right. Dr. Tariq Rafay and his wife, Sultana, and their daughter, Basma, mm-hmm. were found bloody and bludgeoned in their home in the early morning of July 13th, 1994. Police uh, were pretty quick to suspect Atif Rafay, the doctor's son, mm-hmm. and his longtime friend, Sebastian Burns, of the crime. So eventually the two are arrested and convicted on three counts each of first-degree murder. So you think, well, they're convicted. It's open and shut, right? Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't be more wrong. Um, Researching this case just left me scratching my head. And I was questioning a lot of stuff. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Here's a little information on everybody involved. So Dr. Raffae. Mm-hmm. is a structural engineer who was offered a job in Washington after the firm that he worked for in Vancouver, British Columbia had downsized. Okay. So at one point he was also a director for something called the Canada Pakistan Friendship Organization. And that's an organization that helps to build br- bridges and mm-hmm. understanding between the Pakistani community and the Canadian population. Okay. And then his wife, Sultana, was a nutritionist and a homemaker. Um, Both of them were very well respected, seemingly, and liked in their communities. They had two children. Um, Their oldest was their daughter, who was 20, and then their son, who was 18. And Basma still lived at home. She um, had a diagnosis of autism and was nonverbal. So she, you know, that's challenging. You're not going to be able to necessarily live on your own with that. Yeah. So she still lived at home with her parents. Atif, uh, who was one of the suspects, very bright student, very gifted. And um, he was at that time a freshman at Cornell University in New York. Oh, wow. Look at the big brain on him. Right. Um, So to, you know, outside world, they look like just you're a happy, very happy, normal family. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the other suspect um, involved in this is Sebastian Burns, who was also 18. Mm -hmm. He is Atif's, one of his really good, uh, like, can't separate them type of friends. Yeah. They went to school together in Vancouver. Uh, British Columbia, not not Washington. Um, they were both very smart. So he was also very intellectual, and he was into a lot of extracurricular activities at school. And pretty much all of the accounts of his family in life mm-hmm. suggest that he also had a very happy childhood and home. All right. So now that we know who's involved, we're going to talk about what happened the night of the crime. All right. 
So when the murders take place, Atif and Sebastian have been visiting the family while Atif was on break from school. So they had been there for about a week. All right. Okay. So on July 12th, 1994, the two boys leave the house around 8 p.m. in the family car. So they have the Rafay family car. They go to several places throughout the night, which police can confirm easily. They start off at a restaurant, then they go to a movie theater. They see The Lion King, which um, had a start time of 9.40 p.m. After that, they go to Seattle for like milkshakes and fries. While they're there, they ask a waitress if there's a good nightclub around. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in Seattle. Of course, there's a nightclub. Yeah. When the uh, boys show up at the club, though, they're turned away. So around 2 a.m., they return home, and they walk in to find, like, a horrifically bloody scene. Mm -hmm. So the mom is found being to death in the garage. Her head is covered by a scarf, Mm -hmm. and she's positioned facing east. They find the dad up in the bedroom. He's also dead. Um, And due to his injuries, he's just, his head is gone. He's completely unrecognizable. Oh, shit. There is blood and teeth and tissue just everywhere in the room and in the hallways. Wow. It's, yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Um, and then, unfortunately, they don't open the door to the sister bedroom. Um, they kind of assume that the killer still might be there. So they go outside, they call 911, mm-hmm. and they wait for the police. They don't help his sister? Yeah. Or they don't check on her? They don't check on her. Mm. Yeah. So police are a little suspicious when they show up at how the boys are acting. Um, They claim that Atif is more concerned with, like, possible missing stereo equipment, a Walkman, and a VCR. Mm -hmm. And they also claim that they heard, the police are claiming that the boys told them in a statement they heard the sister moaning, but they didn't do anything to try to help her. Which just breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, She actually is alive when the police show up, but she does later die at the hospital from her injuries. So while there, the boys give initial statements. They agree to surrender their clothing, their shoes, and other personal items to the police, as well as they submit um, to like a light source test Mm -hmm. to see if there's any blood on their bodies. Okay. So after being taken to the station, they also submit to a gunshot residue test, fingerprinting, and mug shots. A GSR test, but nobody was shot? Uh, well, I'm going to get to that, but no. Okay. No, nobody was shot. Um, so Atif and Sebastian state that during this whole time, while they're you know with the police, no grief counseling or legal counsel was offered to them. Mm -hmm. at any point by the Bellevue Police Department. Um, It's also really unclear if any of their family or friends have been contacted to come be with them. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, they're 18. So, yes, legally adult, but 18. Yeah. Um, So, naturally, they can't stay at the Ruffet home. Uh, So, police arrange for them to be placed at a motel in two separate rooms, and they're there over the next three days. And as far as the boys know, they are cooperating. They're not being detained. 
Um, They're submitting to any questioning. They're giving written statements, video statements to investigators. And this takes place over the course of like 56 hours. Okay. Right. So on July 15th, um, apparently after Sebastian's mom involves the Canadian consulate, Mm -hmm. it's decided that the boys can return to Canada. They hop on a bus and go to Sebastian's home. Okay. While watching the evening news, they learned that that day there was a family funeral that took place. Oh, for his family? For Atif's family. Okay. So all three had a funeral and they were buried up in uh, Snohomish. Okay. So according to Rafay, to Atif, he has no knowledge that that was going to happen. And he's kind of outraged a little bit. Mm-hmm. When he said he contacted uh, the detective in charge of the case in Bellevue, he says he got he got no response. Um, so in the docuseries, the detective maintains that as a member of the Muslim faith, mm-hmm. Atif should have known that this was going to happen. And that's just due to the nature of a Muslim funeral. Yeah. It needs to happen within 24 hours of the person dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless there's... Uh, circumstances where, you know, it might be a crime, but then it still should be as soon as possible. So furthermore, the Bellevue police claim the boys should not have left the country and that they were not informed that they would be leaving the country. What? Right. So still, although police might be leaning towards Atif and Sebastian as suspects, at that point, they are still not named and no charges are filed. Okay. Right. So let's get into the evidence. All right. Atif and Sebastian have confirmed alibis that evening. I mean, the police can confirm it. However, the investigators believe that they were strategically calling attention to themselves at every place that they went to build an alibi. Oh, okay. Right? So they use all of this to prove like reasonable suspicion. Mm-hmm. Um, so some interesting things that stick out first of all, <laughs> they went to go see The Lion King which is a Disney movie. Yeah. They're 18. I kind of odd. Well, maybe they're choir kids, I don't know. I I don't know. Maybe they like theater. I just don't know. I, don't know. I mean they they might have I'm not I mean the Lion King's a, an awesome movie. Yeah. I, it is. But 18-year-old boys, I don't know. I think it's a little odd too. So police kind of call attention to that. Um, so while they're there after the movie started, so remember it had a call time or call time. It had a show time of 940. Mm -hmm. They complained not too long after the movie starts that there's something like a curtain or a screen malfunction. Yeah. But after about 10 PM, none of the employees there and no people in the theater remember seeing them. So they don't see them leave. Essentially. They don't see them during the movie. They don't see them leave. Um, so after that, then they went to a restaurant in Seattle where they gave like an absurdly large tip just for milk sa- milkshakes and a snack. Okay. So while they're there, they make it a point to ask where a good nightclub would be in Seattle. And when they get to the club, it's clear they were from out of town due to their IDs. They showed their Canadian IDs. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to physical evidence, there isn't much. So there's a pubic hair found on the sheets of the bed where Dr. Buffet was murdered. Uh It's actually not a match to anybody, the family or the two suspects. Um, In the downstairs bathroom, they find Dr. Buffet's blood in the shower, along with unknown DNA and Sebastian's hair. 
They also find a bloody footprint in the garage that can't be matched to anybody. And then lastly, they find blood along the bottom rim of one of Atif's pant legs. Well, he did go in the house. Right. So during the investigation, police speak with neighbors and are able to confirm the time of death mm-hmm. with noise that those two neighbors heard. So sometime between about 9.15 and 9.45 p.m., two different neighbors can hear banging noises coming from the buffet home. Okay. And according to the timeline of, of events the boys gave, that would have put them right around the time where they were at the movie theater when the show would have started. Yeah. Right. So the most compelling piece of evidence that they would eventually have is a full video confession from both Atif and Sebastian during what's called a Mr. Big Sting operation. Now, I, do you know what that is? Have you heard of it? No. So I, I thought it was made up. I thought it was something just for movies. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was a real thing. I'm going to get into that. Okay. Um, so keep that little bit of information like f- in your brain for a second. All right. All right. So next I want to talk about possible motives. Okay. So according to Atif's and Sebastian's defense team, there are three tips that come into the Bellevue police around the time of the murders mm-hmm. that they claim are not taken seriously. So the first is that two days before the murders, a reliable informant for the RCMP gives info that an unnamed man offered him $20,000 to kill an East Indian family that had just moved from Vancouver, Washington, or I'm sorry, Vancouver, BC to Mm -hmm. Bellevue. Okay. So the second tip comes in in about five days after the murder from the FBI. They call the police and they say, hey, we have an informant that's going to come down to the Bellevue station Mm -hmm. and is going to make a statement about some info that they have. So this informant tells detectives that Dr. Buffet was killed because a militant Islamic group did not like his beliefs and teachings on the Quran. He also has knowledge that the suspected weapon used in the murders was a baseball bat. And up until that point, that was not public knowledge. It is correct. So then there is the third tip that comes in, and it's similar, um, but it came from Seattle Police Intelligence. They claim to have info that the murders may be linked to the Alpha uh, Fruca militant organization. Okay. So this is a group that seeks to purify Islam through violence, and they attack groups or people that they view as enemies of Islam. Mm-hmm. Um, the faction's leader is based in Pakistan, but there are several cells all over the world. So more relevantly, there are cells all over North America. Okay, so let me give you some context as to why militant, militant groups might have wanted Dr. Buffet taken out. So he had recently proposed a theory that the direction that mosques in Canada were facing was actually not the, the Mecca or the quote unquote true East. Mm-hmm. That it was slightly, uh, like a slight direction off. I mean, okay, I we know I don't like math. I hate math. Yeah. So I don't know what type of calculations would have been involved in this. I don't know shit about like circumference of the earth and how to figure out like curvature or latitude and longitude. Uh-huh. I don't know all of that. Okay, yeah. like it's... He figured it out, though. Obviously, as a structural engineer, he was smart enough to have figured out what he thought was a a theory. Yeah. Um, 
But I do know that if a group feels you're questioning integral parts of its core beliefs, they're not going to be happy about it. Oh, no. So this group may have also felt that his involvement in the Canada-Pakistan Friendship Organization Mm -hmm. was kind of a betrayal to their Islamic beliefs. Oh. Right. So, like I said, unfortunately, none of these tips are considered credible, pretty much ignored. Yeah. They they didn't even follow up on them. No. they. I mean, they really didn't. Um, What is looked at is the behavior of the boys in the days after they returned to Canada. And I will say that the media and the police do a really good job of showing them as immature and just having a grand old time with the over $300,000 life insurance policy that Atif collected after his parents' death. So it doesn't put them in the best of light. So remember the police felt that the boys were acting weird when Mm -hmm. they show up at the house the night of the murder. Later on, they claimed that they fled the U.S. without permission. They also claimed that Atif should have expected his family to be buried relatively soon, um, as was the practice of of Muslim faith. Mm -hmm. One of the prosecutors and investigators talk about um, how both of the boys were into like philosophy and they were huge followers of um, a philosopher, Nietzsche, Mm -hmm. who has this Superman theory, basically that it's like, if I'm smarter and I have higher intellect, I should be allowed to get with away with whatever I can get away with. Okay. So if you aren't smart enough to figure me out, then I shouldn't be held accountable for it. Yeah. So basically I'm smarter than you. Okay. And I'm above the law. So this info gives detectives what they call a quote unquote gut feeling of suspicion. And investigators claim that with that knowledge and the fact that Atif inherited a large sum of money from the insurance policies, yeah. it was a good enough motive for murder. Okay. Right. So let's fast forward to January of 1995. All right. Uh, Bellevue police say that Atif and Sebastian aren't returning their calls, not returning like any attempts to contact them. And they really have no jurisdiction. So their investigation, and I mean, I loosely call it that because I feel like they they didn't follow up on things that they should have followed up on. yeah. It's at a standstill. They have nothing. So they meet up with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police mm-hmm. um, in an attempt to get their help. And the RCMP say, sure, we'll start investigating them, too. Um, they decide the best way to proceed is with the Mr. Big sting operation. Okay. So this would be the best and arguably the only evidence prosecutors would have against the boys. Okay. All right. Now, what exactly is Mr. Big Sting? It's also known as the Canadian Technique. Mm-hmm. It was started in the uh, 1990s, and it originated in Canada. Essentially, it's an undercover operation where officers try to get info from a, a suspect by slowly getting them involved in a crime ring. So it starts with a small favor, like, can I use your phone? Or can you help me fix a flat? Mm-hmm. Something small eventually yeah. leads uh, to being brought into the fold and you're working your way up to meet the big boss, Mr. Big. When eventually it'll come out, you know, it'll come to light that you're being looked at by law enforcement. They claim you're a dan- danger to the crime ring and, you know, they can help you out and make this all disappear. But you got to come clean. 
So the RCMP decide to try this tactic on Sebastian. Uh, it starts around April of 1995 with wiretaps on the house and his phone. Um, also like tracers on his car. They're following his movements. And one day while coming out of a haircut, the underco- undercover cop is waiting outside. He's ready to ask him for that favor. So in this case, it's a ride because he had locked his keys in the car. And Sebastian is like, yeah, let's let's go. Okay. I'll give you a ride. Yeah. Dumb kid. Um, at some point in the conversation, it, Sebastian just happens to mention that he's trying to get his hands on $200,000 to make a movie. I don't know why. I don't know what movie. I don't know why $200,000. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I guess. I don't know. Um, and the undercover cop states that he may know of an investor who can help him. Uh-oh. Right. So from there, it's a few months of made-up jobs like helping to money launder or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, asking Sebastian his knowledge on computers. And they're just basically trying to, you know, set the stage so that he thinks that he's being brought into the fold. Okay. And at some point, he mentions that he is a suspect in a murder case, but he sidesteps really giving any, like, details or... Uh, confessing that he did it. Yeah. In a sense, what he's trying to do is be like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't mind whatever job you want to give me. I'm, you know, I'm this hardened criminal. I am I might be a murderer. I'm okay with doing whatever you're asking me to do. Yeah. So he doesn't actually come out and say at that point, like, yeah, I, I killed this family. He says he's suspected in the case. Okay. In a few weeks after that, Uh, Undercover cops tell him that due to like a recent news article that they're worried he's a liability. Um, Sebastian just kind of explains all the, you know, all the points of like what, how he could be guilty away in the, and he, he's like, yeah, I, he still doesn't confess to it. So it goes on a little while longer until the cops show him a fake like bulletin from the Bellevue police stating Mm -hmm. that they have enough evidence to make an arrest. And basically they coerce a confession from Sebastian saying they can't help him make this disappear if he doesn't tell them the whole story. So this is how they get his confession. He confesses. And basically it's a lot of the undercover cop. If you watch the video, he's like, you know, you're a motherfucker. I'm, I am I. can't help you. Like, don't be a dumb asshole. Tell me exactly what the fuck is going on. And he's like this hardened guy mm-hmm. who Sebastian thinks is, you know, criminal, is a yeah. boss. And I don't, I just don't know what you would do in that situation. Mm-hmm. You have somebody, you know, basically yelling at you to come clean and to tell them what they want to know. What do you do? I'm not, I'm not sure that you could really count that as a confession. Yeah. So they get him to say this on tape. He doesn't know he's being recorded. Then they tell him that Atif needs to come in, give them his info too, because they want to make sure that Atif won't rat out Sebastian in exchange for a a plea deal. And just like that, after a lot of like pushing and threatening and coercion, they've got confessions to the murders. So in July of 1995, Atif Rafay and Sebastian Burns are charged with three counts each of aggravated first degree murder in the state of Washington. That in turn leads to the RCMP arresting them as fugitives. At this time, they are 19 years old. They are held for six years in pretrial maximum security facilities in Canada 
and basically the entire time they're in solitary confinement. Six years? Six years. Jesus. So while they're there, there are delays and legal issues. Um, one of the issues being that Sebastian thought it would be a good idea to have a sexual relationship with one of his lawyers. Kind of fucked them over. Mm. Uh, literally, figuratively. Yeah. Um, so then he had to find new representation, and that caused a delay for both of them because they were being tried together. Oh, together? Why aren't they? Uh... They were tried together. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Another issue was that the U.S. was trying to press for the death penalty, which in Canada is they they will not, not consider thing, that yeah. right. Um, so Canada would not release them to U.S. custody until that was taken away and promised that they would uh, charge them with that charge, but only ask for life in prison without parole. And as soon as they did, prosecutors agreed. Uh, Canada hands them over. So in 2001, they were extradited to Washington to await trial. So while on trial, um, their Mr. Big video confessions are shown to the jury as credible evidence. And here's the thing. It's not legal in the U.S. to get confessions that way. No. It's considered entrapment. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty illegal. Right. It's unconstitutional. But for some reason, it was allowed to be seen. The judge allowed it. Oh. So it basically was the best and the only evidence the prosecutors had. If they had never gotten those confessions, they never would have been able to um, even put out a warrant for them. They had no evidence. They had nothing. That's some bullshit. Right. So, I mean, here's the thing. Never mind if they're guilty or not. Mm -hmm. And and I'll kind of get into how I feel about that. But... In the United States, you have the right to a fair trial. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in Canada that you have the right to a fair trial. They have, you know, legalities and systems just like we do. They don't persecute people that they can't get evidence on. Yeah. That is a right, whether you're guilty or not. That is a right that you have. Yeah. I would assume that because we're in the U.S. means that the evidence presented would need to be obtained legally how we would obtain it here. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand why it was allowed. So also keep in mind at the time of the confession, it was coerced. They were 19 years old. It was not collected by investigators from Bellevue. Mm -hmm. It was taken in Canada. Yeah. So unfortunately, it seals the deal. On May 26, 2004, Sebastian Burns and Atif Rafay are both convicted of first-degree murder on three counts each. And on October 24, 2004, they are sentenced to life in prison without parole. And that's here in the States? And that's here in the States. Oh, shit. Right. So Sebastian has exhausted his three appeals. Um, Atif is still awaiting judgment on his third appeal. Um. Something to note, recently in 2018, it was ruled in Canadian Supreme Court that the Mr. Big technique was deemed unlawful, and there is a possibility that they might be able to get an appeal um, based on that use of it in their trial. Okay. But it's still iffy because they were tried in the United States and not in Canada. Um, Sebastian, when I searched him, was no longer found in the Washington State prisoners list. So he's been moved elsewhere and that location isn't being released. Huh. I kind of suspect that um, he is in a medical facility due to his increased or I'm sorry, decreased mental state over the years. Um, 
a thief has spent his years in prison trying to make the best of a horrible situation. Mm -hmm. He's continued his education and he's helping other inmates continue theirs. Um, He was also married in 2017 to, I believe, his high school girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, So he, one of the things was like, he has shown great remorse. When he talks about it, he shows that he is remorseful of, um, basically for his parents and his sister's death and how he chose to handle it afterwards. Yeah. But he still maintains that he is innocent of the crime. Okay. So they still, up until uh, Sebastian's third appeal, they were, they're both maintaining an innocence. Hmm. So I will link all the places I found info from on the website um, just to quickly name some sources. There was the next Netflix series um, called The Confession Tapes. Um, some online articles from Vancouver Magazine, Seattle Weekly, and the Seattle Times. Also, I found a court document, um, the state ver- of Washington versus Rafay and Burns. Um, I didn't find any police reports. Um, but last last but not least is the Rafay Burns Appeal website. And I believe this is updated and run by Atif's wife and maybe like volunteer legal counsel. Mm-hmm. Possibly also by Sebastian's parents or his sister. Okay. Um, this is basically their story in their words, their timeline of what happened, as well as all the info on their appeals and their beliefs as to why they are innocent. And this Mr. Big should not have been allowed. No, that's it's total bullshit. Right. So I kind of jotted a few things down. Like I kind of made a list of a few things that I want to discuss. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, first of all, is there anything that really just sticks out to you. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Then, I mean, none of the police reports, you said you couldn't find any police reports because they didn't do any of the work. It was all the Canadian people that did all the work. I mean, I'm sure there's still some reports, but like, I can't find their statements or there's a lot that I can't find. Yeah. The other thing yeah. too, is that there was like no physical evidence linking them to the crimes. They just, I mean, it was a, confession of one kid that was probably just making it up i don't know i don't know they have nothing physical to link them to the crimes they did all the tests they did all the you know um uh, collections and and nothing still right they just they have nothing to link them to the crime no murder weapon right yeah so to me like one of the things that stood out for sure why are you doing a gunshot residue test when Nobody was shot. Yeah. Why would they do that? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't understand where that that's coming from. Yeah, I mean, they're just trying to rule it out. I don't know. That's yeah. That that's weird to me when you said GSR and they, that they were all beaten to death. And it was clear, like it was clear that type of carnage of Doctor Rafay does not come from a gunshot. No, it would and have to be no a shotgun. No neighbors heard. They just heard banging. They right. didn't hear shots fired. You know. And, right. Exactly. Yeah. So that to me, right off the bat, I, I, I ask kind of what I don't understand. Yeah. Um, I'm also kind of confused. I do you take a much mugshot and fingerprints when you're not being held on suspicion? No, I, I didn't believe that that was the case either, but they did. Yeah. But then they also put them up in a hotel. I mean, I get it. But, you know, no, I, I don't know. Well, they had to put them someplace. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was really unclear, you know, Sebastian's parents are contacted because his mom states that she contacted the consulate mm-hmm. to say, hey, can I bring him home? I'm sorry. Why are you not down there? That's where I guess I'm a little confused. As a parent, my child 
is staying at a house with his friend whose parents were just murdered. Mm-hmm. If he's a suspect or if he's not a suspect, I'm going to be there. Yeah. And I don't know how you would stop me from coming. Yeah. Because either way, he needs a lawyer or he needs my support. I'm not understanding how they ended up in a motel for three days and then put on a bus to go home. Yeah, I don't know who bought the bus ticket. Yeah, I I don't know. Because I don't know, did they have money to buy the ticket? It kind of seems the consulate would have maybe had to arrange for that. Yeah. Or the police. And since the police are saying that they weren't supposed to leave and they weren't informed that they were leaving. That's kind of bullshit. Well, yeah. Um, That was the kind of the other thing that I was I was going to discuss was uh, how do you not know that they're leaving? You haven't booked them. You haven't charged them. You can't hold them. You can't hold them without that. So Mm -hmm. how do you not know that they're leaving? I if they're not supposed to leave. What did they slip out the back window? Did you have police posted at the doors? Were you keeping tabs on them at all? I, if they're not supposed to leave, then you should have been keeping track of them. Yeah, they didn't just you or know book them. You can't just hold people forever, right? Um, so I mean, there's that, and then you say somebody's acting off. You show up to a crime scene, you think they're acting off, but you don't offer any legal counseling or grief counseling and have somebody speak to them. Yeah. Again, is that procedure? I don't know. It doesn't sound right. No. Um, If you have a suspicion that they're off, then you try to have somebody talk to them. I. uh, Yeah, especially in that. Your parents were just murdered. No one. Yeah, someone. They should have at least given them grief counseling. Right. Um, So, yeah, when somebody is acting off, wouldn't you want to know why? Wouldn't you want to know how? what might be the cause of that? Mm -hmm. Because I think if they had gotten grief counseling in right away, they could have determined, well, he's in shock and he's not very responsive or he's not acting the way you think he should because he's in shock. Or this kid is definitely guilty and here's your line of questioning that you should be going for. Either way, you've got two avenues that you can pursue Mm -hmm. without just, you know, oh, they were acting off. Um, and maybe again, maybe there's something I don't know. I'm not all knowing there might be something that I wasn't able to find on the interwebs that mm-hmm. could have led me with, to that answer. But yeah. everything that I know and that I've heard of and that I have looked at, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, also, I really question that Atif should have known. They're saying that he should have known the process to of a Muslim burial. Mm-hmm. If they're saying that he should have known what it takes, why didn't they help him make arrangements? Yeah. Because in a Muslim burial, the oldest um, or and closest male relative would have overseen all of that. Mm-hmm. So there's um, the washing of the body, placing the shroud, and then could be upwards of three days of prayer after the burial. Yeah. He would have overseen all of that as the closest living male relative. I don't know, maybe he wasn't really into the Muslim religion. I, I don't know. I don't know how his parents, maybe they didn't, he didn't participate. I don't know. Well, I kind of thought about that, but given Dr. Buffet's history with the Canada-Pakistan Friendship Organization, mm-hmm. I, I kind of 
push that thought to the side because that didn't make sense. If his dad was so involved in that, even if Atif did not practice Muslim religion anymore, Mm -hmm. he would have known about it. That's kind of where I go back and forth. If the police assumed that he knew about it, why didn't they help him make arrangements? And if he did know about it, then why didn't he assert that he needed to make the arrangements? Mm -hmm. Somebody did. But it's very unclear um, who took that over. Yeah. So I I could go either way with that one. Yeah. You know. Um, the other the other thing that I had a question was was the car searched at any point? I can't find any information that it was. Hmm. So you're gonna tell me that these boys left the house, came back in about an hour, murdered the family, and then went to go see a movie and there was nothing in the car? Yeah. There was I would did you search the car? I there's no mention of it. Yeah, maybe they took it. Well, yeah, maybe they did take it because the boys didn't drive it to Canada. No, they, they I mean, the they bus. took the car. Yeah. Their car is somewhere, but there's no mention of did they find any. Uh, obviously, they didn't find any evidence in it. No. Because if they had, that would have been part yeah, of the evidence no listed. no evidence from, I mean, from what. Right. So the other thing was the timeline. If the neighbors heard that, mm-hmm. then. You know, Why that's didn't they call anybody. It, they, it sounded like pounding, like somebody was building something and it wasn't quite, uh, you know, it was, it was like right before 10 o'clock. So it mm. wasn't too terribly late. Yeah. So um, I, yeah, I'm, you know how people are, they don't want to get involved. Yeah. Well. So I, I do feel like there is a possibility either way that yes, they could have pulled that off. Mm-hmm. And the stars aligned, and the timeline just worked out. Yeah. Or no, there's absolutely no way because you and I both know traffic here is is the worst fucking thing. Yeah. So we're gonna assume that they got in the car and were able to go directly to where they wanted to go with no traffic and no stops. That's how perfect the timeline would have to work mm-hmm. for for them to make that movie. It's it, not here. No. <laughs> Not in this area. No. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, of course, the Mr. Big scheme. That is the stuff that, you know, movies are made of. Yeah. I can picture Dirty Harry sitting on the other side of an interrogation table and, you know, trying to, to cough this Mr. Big scheme on somebody. Like, yeah. that. I just... I can picture it. That's why I thought it was completely a made up thing. I didn't know it was a real thing because I'd never seen it outside of movies. It's, it blows my mind and it, it really blows my mind that it was allowed in the trial. That's just crazy though. It's Canada. (laughs) Yeah, but it was here. Yeah. No, I mean, mean? they allowed allowed it and it was here. It's something they they did regularly in Canada. It's just a weird thing, man. I don't even know that it was that regular. They said as of, so it it started in the 90s. As of 2008, there had been 350 cases Mm -hmm. where they did it, where they used it. Because you think about it, it's time involved. Um, This took over, I don't know, about four months, I think. And some of these things can last over a year for them to, they get really that involved in it. So they can't do it too often. Mm -hmm. But 
in in those 350 cases, uh, 75% of the cases were either they got a conviction because of that or it was they were cleared because of that. So, uh, okay, right. It's like, it's, yeah, well, like you said, it's entrapment. You're not, right. you may get them do crime, you know, launder money, do other crime. The police are making someone commit a crime. Right. To talk about another crime. It's, right. That's so ass backwards. It is. And it, it is also, you got to think of this kid's perspective, 19 years old, some kids, yeah, very well adjusted, mm. um, mature children at 18, 19 years old. And yes, I say children. I don't care if you're an adult. You're still a child. Mm-hmm. You don't know shit at 19 years old. Yeah. Um, you might make some very adult decisions. And I think that in this case, there was, you know, an adult decision made to, oh, yeah, I'm going to goof around. You know, this guy's offering me all this money and he just wants me to confess. What's the harm? Yeah. And again, whether he did it or not, I don't know. Um, half the time I think, yeah, they could have done that. They absolutely could have done that. And then the other half, I'm like, what, but what proves that they did it Mm -hmm. other than how they acted? And that's not evidence. No. So I, I do feel like the burden to provide the evidence, it, it was completely failed. They did not provide the evidence needed to get a conviction. So whoever was on that jury, I don't know what you were thinking. No. So, yeah, very interesting case. Um, really confused the hell out of me. Did they do a good job? They caught the guys at, at all expenses? Or did they fuck up and put two young boys in prison the rest of your, their lives? Yeah, I think they did that. The, the latter. I'm sorry. There's no physical evidence. You didn't find the murder weapon. I mean, it, the United States is still the United States. Yeah. Yeah. True. No evidence. No murder yeah. weapon. Yeah. I mean, at least they should have uh, gotten a new trial, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that should have been, I I don't know. Yeah. But um, like I said, it was, it it caught my attention because the whole premise of the show, the confession tapes, Mm -hmm. is people who are wrongly convicted based on a confession. And essentially... uh, Every other case that I've seen, and I haven't watched the whole series, so there might be some that are like that, but every other case that I watched, the people are like eventually released from prison and found not guilty, and their conviction is overturned. But not these guys. But not these guys. And it was a two-parter. And it was a two-parter. You know, I always love the two-four. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... So, yeah, there we are. That is the case of the Rafay family murders. Wow. Yeah. So. That's crazy. Yeah. The whole family was killed. I still think the killers are out there. I, it's That's just crazy. I mean, I, I feel like those tips were all very good tips, and mm-hmm. they all kind of were the same tip given by three different people. Yeah. I, I, essentially. So, and then for the one guy to know the murder weapon. Yeah. I, I, how did he know that? It was not public knowledge at the time that it was a baseball bat. It was an aluminum baseball bat. It was not information given to the public and it Mm -hmm. was just five days after the murder. So yeah, might be a little bit of something to that. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want to research it because they were afraid of retaliation. Maybe. 
I, it's quite possible. Yeah. Anyways, so there we go. There's a little bit of something. You know, hopefully we kept you entertained for a little bit of time. And uh, again... And this our coronavirus quarantine edition. Yes. Don't, don't go crazy with the, the seriousness of all of it. Find a little enjoyment here and there. Yeah. Wherever you can. But stay safe and stay indoors if you can. Stay home. Yeah. It's better at home anyways. So, yeah, we want to thank everybody for listening and, um, you know, continuing to support us. Our, like, every time I go and look at how many downloads we have, uh, uh, the numbers are, like, climbing, and it just makes me happy. Yeah. I mean, so. it's it's really incredible to see, like, all the places and new places that we... I think the more exciting thing is every time we look on the 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 data, it's... I think I want to see... The most thing I'm excited to see is the new places that are downloading us. Yeah, places where I'm not even sure where the hell are you finding us. Yeah. Like, uh, was there, what was it? Was it Ukraine? Yeah. Yeah. Or Bangkok. Yeah, a couple in Thailand. How do you know where to find us? But, you know, that's awesome. So thank thank you. you. All right. Well, please, you know. Let us know how you like the the podcast and let us know any stories you might have. We definitely want to hear some. And um, yeah. Get in touch with us on all the social media platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, also the website. Yeah. Uh, uh Leave us a message. Let us know you're out there. Let us know you're listening. And uh Stay safe, everybody, please. Yes. Don't do any crazy shit. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.